Happy Mother's Day. As a, as a gift to your, to your mother or your wife, maybe you should watch Pride and Prejudice tonight with them, uh, all the men out there. Um. <laughs> hey, how we going, church? Good to see you this morning. As I say, Happy Mother's Day. I, um, I've got a, a fresh appreciation for mothers uh, in the last couple of months. Since I've started um, being the kind of primary caregiver slash taxi driver slash cook slash fight breaker upper uh, in our family since May has gone uh, into full-time work. And I've gained a new insight, I guess, into the role of mums. Not that I am a mum, but uh, I, I just appreciate that um, the role that they do in keeping the family going and being essentially the heart of, of a family. So, yeah, we want to honour all you mums. Um, if you didn't get a gift yesterday, um, there, are, there are some spare ones in the foyer. We would love for you to take one of those. Um, I'd say I've also taken a bit of flack from this platform lately, uh, just about uh, my approach um, to parenting for daughters, um, which I don't know if I feel is uh, completely justified. Um, I was struggling to think of anything last week that uh, she felt that I did better uh, in my role. But I would just like to point out that she also couldn't think of anything that she did better either. So <laughs> um, I do fly- fighting on the floor better. Good. I've got fighting on the floor. Tick. That's uh, mainly just with my thir- three-year-old. Um, we, are, we are coming to the end of our series, Pride and Prejudices. And um, I was thinking, how do we tie in Mother's Day, tie in Pride and Prejudice, um, you know, and also, I guess, yeah, and I was thinking about this, praying about this, and I was thinking, how do I tie that all together? And I thought, well, there is a wonderful motherly figure. Uh, my true inspiration uh, as a father of five, of four daughters, she is a mother of five daughters. Uh, her name is Mrs. Bennett. Um, She's a paragon of motherhood, a truly inspirational woman. Uh, of course, if you've seen Pride and Prejudice, you'll know that I'm joking. Uh, that that uh, she is far from that. In fact, I'll let Jane Austen describe her for you. She was a woman of mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper. When she was discontented, she fancied herself nervous. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Its solace was visiting and news. So she was, she was far from a model mother, far from the model of humility. Uh, love her daughters. She just expresses that love in a kind of a controlling, matchmaking kind of a way. Uh, and, and she doesn't actually have a model marriage either. She, she actually has a pretty bad marriage. And, and I, and I recognise also that every marriage, it takes two to tango. And uh, Mr. Bennett is far from a great husband. But it does lead to some classic interactions. Um, and uh, I don't know, I think you guys, I, I, I don't know if I've picked my audience here, but uh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one, I'm going to give you one interaction. Uh, and then that will just whet your appetite to go and watch it tonight. Uh, <laughs> Or even better, read the book. Uh, Mr. Bennett, how can you abuse your own children in such a way? You take delight in vexing me. You have no compassion on my poor nerves. You mistake me, my dear. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. 
I have heard you mention them with consideration these 20 years at least. So perhaps Mrs. Bennett is not the ideal example of motherhood and humility. Perhaps we should actually turn to the Bible uh, for such uh, a demonstration. So I thought, who better than to exemplify motherhood for us than the mother of our Savior herself, Mary. So today we're going to do a bit of a comparison, possibly never done before in a sermon. We're going to compare Mrs. Bennett with (laughs) Mary, mother of Jesus. We're going to hold them up and we're going to see how they marry up. Um, If you want a key scripture, I'm actually going to read through it for you now and we'll be diving in and out of it. But it's, it's found in Luke 1. Uh, Luke 1, 46 to 55. It's called the Magnificat in um, Latin. It's Mary's song after, after God um, reveals to her uh, who is in her womb. And she's met up with Elizabeth, and, and she realizes something of the importance of the child that's within her. And she says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just a beautiful song, and uh, we'll be dipping into it. But my first point, when we compare, when we think about comparing Mrs. Bennett and and Mary, my first point is that pride points to self, humility points to God. Pride always points to self. Humility points to God. In every scene that she's in, Mrs. Bennett chews up the scenery. She's, she dominates the conversation. Drama swirls around her. Even when there's not much drama to be had, she makes the drama. She brings the drama. It will happen around her. Her spasms and her flutterings of her nerves uh, kind of make her front and center of every scene she's in. Now, perhaps you're unfamiliar with a character like that. That's fine. Just imagine someone in your life who constantly draws attention to themselves. I'm sure we all know someone. When you tell them something about your life, maybe it's a hurt or a drama or a success, somehow they've got another story that's as good, if not better, than yours. And, uh, And somehow the conversation always ends up being around them. When there's conflict, they're always the innocent party. You see, the underlying difference between their worldview and and a a humble, godly worldview is that their worldview is all about them. It's all focused on themselves. It's rooted in self. It's founded in him. As as we've quoted C.S. Lewis already in this series, he says, True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You see... Humility is not so much thinking that, oh, I'm a worm and I've, I've got nothing and I'm so low. No, it's actually just thinking about yourself a bit less and thinking of others more. And I'd even go a step further. I'd say true humility, complete humility is not thinking of yourself at all. But who's able to do that? Like actually, we are by nature 
selfish beings. We, by nature, think of ourselves first. We wake up in the morning and we think, what am I going to do today? What's on my plate? It's all, you know, about us. And so there's, there's a war inside of us between our, our fleshly nature and our, our godly nature. A war between selfishness, us wanting our own way, and between God and humility and wanting His way. And, and it's easy to think, man, I'm losing that war all the time. How do I, how do I win that? Well, ultimately, I want to give you a few, uh, just a few tips to maybe just ideas that to perhaps think, oh, maybe I'm not winning that war. Maybe actually that is an issue for me. Uh, a few indicators. If you, are, if you are winning that war, you will talk about yourself less. You will ask more questions, just in general, but of others, about how they are doing. You don't, you, you don't have to have the last word. I'm talking to my children here. Uh, you can celebrate others' success, because if you're f- focused on yourself, then, then you're always thinking about your own success, your own uh, opinion in the eyes of others. You can rejoice more than you complain. Like you actually will rejoice, not just in other success, but in general. You, you don't come to life with a complaint. The first words on your lips are not words of complaint. They're actually words of, of praise. So if we think about Mary and how she shows this humility. Well, I read you that, that whole passage, but just to, to touch on the start of it. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I love that. Mary recognizes that there are great things happening in her life, but they all come from him. She doesn't deny it. She doesn't say, no, no, my life is rubbish. Oh, she doesn't complain. She recognizes, yeah, things are great. But the reason things are great is because God is doing great things in my life. You see, see, pride will always focus on ourselves. Humility will always give glory back to God. We'll always focus on Him. And we'll point things back to Him. Secondly, pride seeks recognition. Humility recognizes favor. Pride seeks recognition. Humility recognizes favor. See, Mrs. Bennett, she's always seeking recognition, both for herself and especially for her daughters. And there's something around our own lives that doesn't make sense. Like who you are and how you've been created is purely a gift from God. So for you to be proud about that makes no sense. You didn't choose to be born how you are. The fact that I'm incredibly intelligent and good-looking and sporty and musical and all those things is not any, any great thing on why are you laughing. On me, it's a gift from God, and I need to give Him the glory. But it's true for ourselves. We, we, we often think, oh, you know, I have this uh, gift, and, and therefore I need to, you know, seek recognition for this. But actually, if you think about it, it's from God. Now, yes, you have to part life, but ultimately... The gift is God's. And for you to seek recognition for it is a bit foolish, just like I was just then. (laughs) 
So if you're really smart or good looking, whatever it is that you have, those talents that you have, and we all have them, they look different in different people. Can I just say, it's a blessing from God. You got lucky. When God was handing out brains, you were at the top of the list. When he was handing out a caring heart, you were near the top. When he was handing out whatever it is, he gave some to you. And that doesn't say anything about who you really are. It doesn't say anything about your character. See, humility is not about those things. It goes deeper than those gifts. It's about your character, not about your competency. It's about who you are on the inside. And at the end of the day, you shape that and you form that with God. That's actually beyond your giftings. And actually, I would go so far as to say your, your character actually sets the lid of how far you will go in life. Your, like your, your character is actually the lid on your competency because you hear so many business people, politicians, pastors who, who fall from grace, and the reason is their character couldn't keep up with their competency. They're incredibly good on the pulpit. or You see, it's far more important you develop your character then you develop your competency. And a humble person will recognize this. And they'll recognize that actually it's my responsibility to develop my character. God has given me these gifts and I have to be faithful with them to honor Him. And so, as to, to quote Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> yeah, it's good, good to get some. Queen Esther. The Old Testament story, I won't run it all through for you, but she's in exile in a foreign land. Her people are, are um, being persecuted, and she has this gift. She is extremely beautiful. That is her gift. Just imagine my wife, and uh, you've got Queen Esther, and her, her, people, her people are in need of some help. And, and her uncle Mordecai says, hey, you can do that. You can make a difference. Who knows that, you know, you were born for such a time as this. And she steps forward in that place. She's faithful with the gift that she's been given. And she changes the course of that, that story and that nation. If we look at Mary again, in verse 48, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God has done great things for me. See, Mary recognizes favor. She doesn't seek recognition. She recognizes, oh, it's the grace of God in my life. It's actually God's goodness that's, that's given me this role. It's the grace of God that has led you to be where you are, to give you the good things that you have. And you just need to turn around and say, holy is his name. It's by His grace. I am so grateful for what you have done. And it's a beautiful thing. She doesn't seek recognition. Throughout, throughout the, the New Testament story, you know, Mary's just in the background. She's never pushing herself forward. But she's there in the key moments. She's there at His birth. She's there as He preaches. She's there at His death, at His resurrection. She's there. So, if we're going to be truly humble, we need to recognize that it's actually just the favor, the grace of God in our lives. Number three, 
You still with me, church? You're going quiet. Good. Number three, humility lifts and supports others. Pride pushes and forces others. If you know Bennett, she's anxious. She's got five daughters. She's got to get them all married off because that's what you did in those times. Women didn't really have uh, much of a role in that society. They were just kind of to be married to a wealthy man, and that was kind of success. And so, so she's pretty anxious. And what she does is she just, she's just forever pushing them into the, the, the path of eligible young men. And she's just constantly talking and pushing the cases of her, of her, of her daughters. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it gives some good comedy, but actually um, it's pretty, it's a bit repulsive. <laughs> uh, but it also teaches us I guess something of a lesson, and actually that kind of forcing ourselves, forcing our way is not the way of God. To force our own way in the world, it might, it might get you so far, but actually it's not God's way. God's way is to humbly lift up and support other people, and in doing that, God will exalt us. It's a great scripture, it says, uh, you know, when we exalt ourselves, God humbles us. But when we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. Because when you compare Mrs. Bennett with Mary, you see her son is the son of God. Right? She's got a lot to be boastful about, you would think. More than any of you, more than anybody in all history, she can boast about her son. And you, ne- you never see her pushing the case of Jesus. You never see her pushing him into the spotlights. In fact, when the, when the shepherds come at Jesus' birth and tell Mary all about, well, the angels came to us and this is what they said, it says she simply treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She just stored that up. It's like, wow, God's going to do something amazing. I, I just need to bring up my son, take him to, to the temple, bring him up in the ways of God. Humbly do that, and God's going to do something great. She doesn't go telling all her friends about her amazing son and talking him up and showing pictures of him on Facebook and Instagram. Look, he got player of the day. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, post your kids. You know, that's cool. You can delight in your kids. But I think when we push things, we're all driving. That's unhealthy for our kids as well as for ourselves. When we try and push our way, force our way into that job, position or, or, you know, manipulate things so we can get a, a better place at the table, wherever it's at. That's not the way of God. Mary doesn't do that. And yet, as I say, she's there at every important point. She's there in the background supporting. What a sad moment for her to think, man, this, this son of mine who was so promised, he's dead. He's gone. What what, what happened, God? She would have been asking some serious questions. Of it says that she's there. Um, she comes to the tomb. She sees that the tomb is empty. She, you know, she sees the whole story. And she's just there in the background, supporting and lifting him up, encouraging him. That is the way of true humility. That's how I want to raise my kids. And that's how I want to go about my life in the world. I want to walk humbly before my God. I don't want to push my way through doors. I know that God will open doors. When you walk in humility with God, God will open doors for you. You don't have to push your way through. 
Number four, humility repents. Pride refuses to admit wrong. Humility repents. Pride refuses to admit wrong. There's a scene in Pride and Prejudice where uh, Mrs. Ben, as I said, she's trying to get her kids married off. And um, so she, she hears there's an eligible bachelor like, living like five miles down the road. And she's like, oh, I need to get my, my daughter Jane there. So she sends her out. There's a storm brewing to Bingley's house. And so she goes there. And it's just torrential rain. And she gets drenched. And she ends up getting really ill and uh, having to be nursed at that place. And, and it's interesting. Mrs. Ben, like her other daughters, especially Elizabeth, are like, why did you send her out? Oh, how could you do that to her? And she's like, no, no, I know what I'm doing. And she kind of she gets us all this pretense of like, oh, I, I, underst- I understand. I've got it all in control. I planned this. And she refuses to admit that she's done anything wrong. And how often are we like that in our world? Because we don't like to admit, do we, that we're wrong? Anybody like to admit that you're wrong? Say it again. How many of you like to admit that you're wrong? No, at least you're honest. We don't like to admit it. It's human nature. Like I, I laugh a little bit, but I also get really annoyed at my kids when like, they do something. And it might have been an accident, but they don't own it. They're like, you know, oh, they drop a plate. And they're like, oh, it wasn't my fault. I was like, sorry, did the plate just jump? Onto the floor, whose fault is it? If not yours, whose? God did not come down and bring the, you know. But we don't like to admit, do we? No, it's just me, okay. But, and my children. But the thing is, if we stop and examine what that is in us, you realize it's actually our pride. It's our pride. We don't like to admit that we might have made a mistake. Yeah, inadvertently maybe, or maybe deliberately, but we've done wrong. Repents. Humility repents. And repent doesn't mean that you crawl and you grovel and, you know. It's interesting. The Greek word that we translate as repentance is metanoia, and it means to radically change one's thinking. So to repent is to change your mind. And actually, there's no exact comparative word in Hebrew for repent, but the closest word basically means to turn around and go in the opposite direction, to return. So we put those together. To repent means to change our mind and change the direction we're going. So, so we change our mind and then we act on that by going, doing the opposite. And when you think about repentance like that, we need to be repenting all the time because we often get things wrong. We often have wrong thinking. That we need to be shaped. You know, Romans 12 says we, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That renewing is a humbling process because it's a renewing of going, oh, I made a mistake. I've got that wrong. Oh, I've got that wrong. Oh, I'm thinking about that wrong. Oh, actually, no, that's not correct how I thought about that. You can only do that if you're humble enough to go, oh, yeah, I got it wrong. We see this kind of opposite way in Mary's song. Talking about God, she says, In verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You see, if you're proud in your inmost thoughts, you'll never repent because you'll always think you're right. You always think, oh, no. And you'll make an elaborate story around the circumstances that caused this to happen. 
through no fault of your own. In verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You see, if you don't change your mind and repent, God will change it for you. He will humble you if you do not humble yourself. He scatters those with proud thoughts. He, he brings down rulers. He feeds the hungry and sends the rich away empty. You know, if we don't walk in humility before God, we will be humble before him at some point in time, whether at this side of eternity or, or the other side. One of my, one of my favorite stories of, of humble repentance is the story of King David. Found in 2 Samuel 12. David has, he's king of Israel, and he's done bad. He's done real bad. A lot of you will know the story of, and then he realizes that this is going to get him in trouble. So he has her husband killed, manipulative sin that he's done. Like he's really, that's horrible stuff. He should be imprisoned. He should, yeah. And in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan the prophet confronts him about this. Now, I don't envy Old Testament prophets. Like this guy's had this other guy killed, so to have to confront him about that, he's the king. At the drop of a, his hat, at his word, you can be toast. So, but Nathan is very cunning about how he broaches this with David. He's, God obviously helped him in this. And he gives him this story. I'll tell you some of it. I haven't got it on the screen. In 2 Samuel 12, he says, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Oh, it's a bit weird, actually. But Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then David, then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. Not like you're the man, but you are the man. In this story, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you masters, your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if, I, I had, if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. And then he goes on and, and he outlines how David is that man. And David, and this is the response that I love, just in verse against the Lord. Just, just no flowery language. I've sinned against the Lord. Yeah, I've done it. It was me. And it wasn't just against Uriah and Bathsheba. It was against God that he had sinned. And then actually out of this, he writes Psalm 51. Um, so, you know, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. But in Psalm 51, it's just a, it's a song of a confession and he says some beautiful things in it, like in verse 10, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David repents before God. He says, I return. I want to return. And he returns to God. That's that whole turning around. You see, when we walk in pride, 
we just keep walking. <laughs> but when we, when we are humble, we return to God. And we say, actually, God, I'm sorry. Yeah, I've stuffed up. And that is, there has to be a daily thing, church. It's not something you do once at your salvation. It's not something you do once a year at Easter. No, it's a, it's a daily, moment by moment, turning our heart back to God and saying, oh, God, I've stuffed up again. Forgive me. Help me in this. Change my thinking that I may do the opposite in my life. That's what humane. Can I invite the keys out? So, and this is my last, my fifth point. Pride gets us stuck. Humility allows us to grow. Pride gets us stuck. Humility allows growth. See, pride gets us stuck in patterns of living, patterns of relating, patterns of unforgiveness or of, or of blame or of frustration because we can't take responsibility. Because it's always the circumstance or that person or that situation or, or those, oh, my upbringing, it's the school, it's the, my boss, it's whoever and whatever. It's something other than us. That is what pride does. But humility, humility says, no, I've got to own this. In every scenario, there's an there's a element where some of this is my fault because I'm not perfect. And the thing is, you'll never grow and change unless you walk with that attitude of finding yourself. Say, like, oh, it wasn't my fault. You dropped the plate. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. And I, I just I say to my kids, okay, look, you might not have done it deliberately, but... It's nobody else's fault but your own. There's actually, there's only one person in this situation. So just own it. Just say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, I, I broke that plate. And it's cool. I won't be angry with you, but you need to own it. That's, that's how God approaches us. He, he, he's not angry. He's not like, oh, you sinned. <laughs> Smite. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's actually angrier, get this. He's actually more disappointed when we don't own it. It says, the Bible says in James, uh, I think it's 4, 6, God opposes the, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when we say, oh, it's not my fault, oh, I can't, it's, you know, that's our pride speaking. And it actually says that God opposes that. I don't want to be opposed by God. I don't want God on the opposite side of the, the table to me, opposing me. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives favor to the humble. It's that word favor again. Every good gift comes from him. And every, every, every sin can be forgiven in that grace, in that favor. See, proud people will say, oh, this, this is who I am. Just take me or leave me. Whereas a, a humble person will say, this is who I am at the moment. But by the grace of God, I am changing. I am on a journey to become more like Christ. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church of people who recognize that we ain't got there yet. That we are still growing and we show grace to one another when we 
are growing. When we are serving alongside one another, there will be people who will rub you up the wrong way. There will be people who annoy you. There will be, and sometimes we, we withdraw from true community because it's too hard. We're like, oh, actually, it's just about, I don't want to. It's easier if I hold church at arm's length. If I just, you know, come every few weeks and I don't really get into an e-group and I don't really get served, I don't really get to know people, then actually I can like the church. The church is quite good. But when you actually have to be in one another's lives every week, when you have to share stories, when you have to work alongside one, when it gets hard, and that's where we grow. That's where we change. And I want to be a part of a community that, that embraces that. and says, I'm, I'm going to be humble enough to come every week and allow people to rub off on me. As, as Maya said last week, that we can be sandpaper to one another. That we actually we shine off the, the, the sharp edges on one another. As iron sharpens iron, we actually refine one another to become more like Jesus. You remember the 12 disciples? That's what they, they followed Jesus for three years. And they lived, you know, in the same, they, they wandered around the country with them. They were, you know, it'd be like, go to bed, wake up. Oh, they're there again. Go to bed, wake up. They're there again. Go to bed, wake up. Every day they're there in one another's lives. Man, sometimes we struggle just to spend one another's lives once a week. <laughs> Let alone every day. But that's how they grew to be the apostles. That's how they grew to be the starters of the church. So today, I just really want us to, we're closing off the series. We're going to start a great new series next week. But just in this, this moment, I want us to come before God in humility and say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I repent of my wrong thinking and I want to turn again and follow you in humility. And you might think, oh, well, I haven't done anything majorly wrong this week. Yeah, I don't really care what you've done wrong this week. It's about your attitude of your heart towards great week. None of you are like, yep, 100%. I'm actually Jesus this last week. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so why don't we stand to our feet and in this moment, let's come before Him and just say, as, as Pastor Sam said in his message, help me, God, I have a pride issue. We need to come before Him and say, God, help me. Help me in my pride. Because the moment we think we don't have pride in our lives, guess what we have? Pride in our lives. <laughs> so just with your eyes closed, and you can raise a hand, you can open, just, I don't mind how you respond to God, but just in this moment, I want us to come before Him humbly. Open our hearts again and just invite Him humbly into our hearts. So I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance, and if you can agree with that in your heart, and do that. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that we don't grow by our own striving and forcing our way. Father, we, we grow and we change by humbly coming to you and asking for forgiveness and for help. And so that, that's what we do this morning, Lord. We come before you. We're sorry where we have been proud in our, in our family life, in our work life, in our spiritual life, and 
every area. God, we're sorry where we have been proud. Lord, we don't want to have to be humbled by you, so we come to you humbly now. And we say, help us, God. Help us to move forward. Help us to become more like you. Help us to, to truly repent, to truly change our way of thinking and to walk in an opposite direction, to walk towards your ways, to be less selfish, to be more others-focused, to be less self-focused and more focused on you. God, have your way in us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Help us in Jesus' name. Hey, there's one more group of people I want to pray for. And that's if you're here this morning and you haven't given your heart to Christ. Or you've done it, but it was, a lot, it was a while ago and you know that actually you've walked away. Just in this moment with eyes closed and head bowed, if that's you this morning, you think, yeah, no, I need to give my heart to Jesus. I know that I need His forgiveness in my life. Then just raise your hand. I'll see it and you can put it down. I need, that's awesome. I see that hand up there. Is there anyone else? That's, that's an act of humility. This is the ultimate act of humility is to say, God, I need you to save me. All right, we're going to pray together. I'm going to say a line. You're going to say a line after me. Dear God, nice and loud. Dear God, I come to you today and I ask your forgiveness. I thank you for your grace that in your son Jesus I am forgiven I choose today to follow you Jesus thank you for my salvation person after the service but bless you church I'm going to hand back to Maya let's walk in humility before God